ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to say again, welcome to City. We appreciate you being here. Over the past couple weeks, by couple, I mean, goodness, six or seven at this point, we've been going through a sermon series on the concept of prayer. We've been talking about prayer itself, why we as followers of Christ are called to do it, and how we're supposed to. And we started off the first week by discussing the fact that the normal reasons why people pray, why we say we think we're supposed to pray, may not be the right ones. Because... If we think that the main reason for prayer is for us to get things that we want, it doesn't make sense that Jesus prayed, because he didn't need to to get what he wanted. He had the power to do whatever he wanted, right? He has full authority over creation. If he wants something to happen, he can do it. He doesn't have to talk to the Father about it. He can do it, right? Similarly, uh, if we think the purpose of prayer is primarily to learn the will of God in our lives, that's also weird, because Jesus wholly and fully knows the will of the Father. He didn't have to pray to learn what the Father's will was. He knows it. He and the Father are one, right? And so Jesus still prayed all the time. He never stopped. He would take large periods of time to do so alone. He would pray with people. He would pray for people. He would pray in the midst of tragedy. He would pray in the midst of uh, worry. He would pray in the midst of joy. He prayed a lot. But he didn't need to to get what he wanted. He didn't need to learn the will of God. So why did Jesus pray? And he prayed because he loves his father, and it's worth talking to him. He enjoys talking to his father, and doing so is an act of worship itself, right? Having said that, we do not have the ability to know God's will fully ourselves, nor do we have the ability to just do whatever we want in creation. I don't have full authority over all of creation. So while Jesus didn't need to pray for certain things like that, it's not wrong for us to. Does that make sense? And then we started walking through the Lord's Prayer, and we walked through this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. That's where we stopped last time. And so we've learned the fact that we're called to pray in a couple of different ways, and that the first main reasons we're called to pray are to pray that God's will would be done in this earth, that his purpose would come to pass, and that's making his own name great, and that his kingdom would invade this world. And so we pray not for ourselves first, but for what God is doing to happen. And then we can step in and pray for ourselves And we can ask for what we need to survive on a daily basis. We can ask for what we would uh, like while remembering that we should still be relying wholly and fully on our Heavenly Father for his good gifts. We shouldn't beg for him to give us everything we need right now for our entire lives. But instead, give us what I need to survive while still relying on you. Right? And then we remember that he calls for us to pray for forgiveness. Because we need it. We all do. And that it's not wrong for us to ask. But we also have to remember that his forgiveness expects us to forgive in the same way. And so we as followers of Christ have to mature in this as well. We have to grow and learn that we have to be able to forgive those around us in the same way Christ forgives us. And here's what we're stepping into today. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Part one, lead us. Okay, you guys want to hear a fun story? I'm going to give you a bit of a fun story right now, as soon as I press my right button and turn on my notes. So I had a dog. 
for many years. I say had because sadly about a month and a half ago he passed away, okay? But Keegan was an amazing dog. And I am loath to say I forgot to post an awesome picture of him up here. But Keegan was a Weimaraner, right? He's a giant, giant dog. Uh, whenever he would sit, his head would come up to about here on me, so right about my hip. And whenever he would stand on his back legs, he could put his front paws on my shoulder and look me dead in the eye, okay? Giant dog. Huge. And if you don't know anything about Weimaraners, he was big for his breed, but also, they're what we would like to call a little bit of rambunctious dogs, okay? Let's just say they prepared me well for having a four-year-old. Because he would run everywhere, had a ton of energy, would rip up stuff in the house, and go pee and poop everywhere. Like, basically, that's what having a kid is, in case you didn't know. They break your stuff, and they make lots of messes. But they're also super lovable. Anywho. Keegan was a giant. And many of you have met my wife, Christy. She's currently over in the nursery, so I can't be all embarrassing to her. But she is not, uh, well, she's not my size, okay? She's not a giant. And she would take Keegan for walks. And as she would take him for walks, it was usually hilarious because this dog loved to take walks. And he would get super excited. And he would jump at the door and possibly knock you over while trying to get out. And you would put your leash on him and you would train him to be healed. And he was heel trained for her very well, but not for me. So he would walk next to her and he would be super... Uh, I want to say super pulled in every direction and wanting to see everything, but he would stand next to her well. But if I tried to take him for walks, he would be a little bit more free. And so he wouldn't just have his head bouncing around while staying nicely at my side. He would basically jerk my arm out of my socket and just... I'd have to hold him back the entire time. And he would go crazy if he saw other things that he just really wanted to get to. Squirrel run across the way, I better drop to a knee and basically just plant and hope he doesn't rip me across the road. Another dog run out at him, okay, I'd have to hold him back. Never had to for Christy, for some reason he listened to her, but whatever. Remember that story for a second, just remember it as we come back to it. Whenever we start with lead us not into temptation, there's a couple things to know about. Temptation is the first thing I want to talk about here. Because whenever we read this section, whenever we read Lead Me Not Into Temptation, sometimes some random thoughts will pop up in my head. Why would we ever have to ask God not to lead us into temptation? God doesn't tempt people. God doesn't try and get people to do evil, right? He doesn't. Fun story, that word that's being translated as temptation there, not a negative word in Greek. It's not. It doesn't mean temptation in the way we think of as this is a bad thing in front of me that I might do. The word is actually the word for trial or testing. It's not necessarily negative. It's not a if you do something you fail. It's having a choice brought before you in any sense of the word. Okay? This word is used often. It's not just used for uh, just temptation. It's used for any kind of testing that we can be put through as followers of Christ. And here's a really weird thought. This thing that we're praying for God not to do, not to lead us towards, in other parts of Scripture, it is considered a blessing and something that we're supposed to take joy in when it happens. Check this out. James 1-2 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. 
And so even though we're called to pray that we do not have to face trial, whenever trial comes, we're supposed to consider it joy. We're supposed to be glad that it comes because it teaches us perseverance and it allows us to attain... (laughs) What's that next word? It allows us to attain maturity and completeness whenever it does. Similarly, check this out. Consider it blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's James 1.12. And so blessed are we whenever we face trial and we stand firm in it. This might strike you as weird. Why would we be called to pray something doesn't happen whenever it's a joy whenever it happens and we are blessed when it happens? There's a couple of reasons, guys. One, because even though we have to undergo perseverance, undergo trial to gain perseverance and gain maturity, one would hope that we wouldn't have to undergo it a ton to gain these things, right? If you're saying, Lord, please do not lead us into having to be tried often, we're basically saying, Lord, please allow me to be mature enough to not have to deal with it that often. Give me maturity. But then there's the fact that just because something is a good thing doesn't mean we should want it for ourselves, right? Another time when this is discussed within Scripture, in Matthew, actually, in Matthew chapter 5, at the very beginning, there's these things called the Beatitudes, and one of the last ones is basically, blessed are you whenever you are persecuted, because that's a good thing. But at the same point, in Matthew 24, Jesus then says, hey, there's going to be a time whenever persecution comes. Pray it's not too bad, and pray that you can actually avoid some of the negative effects of this persecution. So even within the same book, there's this concept that something can be a blessing or a joy while still being something that we should not jump to or attain to. Want a life lesson on this one? That means you should not attain to something like martyrship, in case you're wondering it. Man, I just super wish I could die somewhere for proclaiming my faith. You hope you die? Weird, all right? Of ways to die, probably one of my favorite. Like, I'd really prefer that over the slipping and falling in my bathtub. Like, but should you pray for something like that to happen? No, we pray that we wouldn't have to undergo it. But we can also pray, Lord, if I'm put to that trial or that test, may I persevere under it. If I end up there, okay. But if you can withhold it from me, please withhold it from me. It's not a bad way to pray. There's also something within this. There's this concept of lead me. I need to touch on this one for a quick second. Lead us, not into temptation. Have you ever met someone that you know, or perhaps have been this person, because I have been this person, who would pray this prayer after getting yourself into the most stupid situation you possibly could? Anyone? Hey, yeah. All right, okay. Let's just go with an easy one for me that's not too controversial. In case you haven't looked at me recently, I may have a slight problem with gluttony, okay? It's one of the things that I am working on and trying to grow in as a follower of Christ. Uh, For some reason, if I am around a cookie, I cannot allow said cookie to go uneaten. I don't know why. It's one of my weakest points in my flesh, okay? Literally in my flesh, and there's more and more of it every day, okay? If I go to the supermarket and buy myself 14 packets of Oreo cookies, or as this morning actually happened, two packets of Ho-Ho's, 
and then say, Lord, don't tempt me. Is that me asking God not to lead me into temptation? Or is that me saying, I've decided I'm going to go ahead and be tempted. Lord, don't allow me to do the thing I've already set my mind on doing. That's a different thing, right? We can see this happen all the time in our lives. Who here has known someone who wants to, I'll, I'll toss it out, who wants to go or overcome porn, realizes something they struggle with heavily in their lives, but for some reason says, you know what? Yeah, but I need to have a computer in my bedroom. I have to. No way I can avoid it. Also with an unfettered internet access. And the homepage has to be set somewhere questionable. Right? Huh. Are you really wanting to not be led into temptation? Or are you deciding to run wholeheartedly into temptation and begging for God to pull you out of it? Those are two different things. Bad relationships. I, I know somebody who once told me that they were praying regularly that God would keep them from falling into temptation with their, at the time, girlfriend. But this person also purposefully set up their household so they were living together, sleeping in the same bedroom, and often very tired next to each other. And if you know anything about avoiding temptation, being in the same room as it at all times, whilst being tired and unhappy and hungry or whatever, you're not going to come out of it, right? If you really don't want to sleep with your girlfriend or boyfriend, are you going to be laying in the same bed with them every night? No. Lead us is the first point. It's assuming that we are willing to be led by God. If we're going to ask God to lead us somewhere, we have to be willing to actually go where he leads us. So that means if God says, hey, I've called for you, Chris Dewar, never to go to BW3s again, and I pray heavily he has not asked me that. But if he does, my response has to be, okay, go, Lord, I'll go where you lead. And if it's away from delicious, delicious wings, so be it. Or, Lord, if you're calling for me to overcome porn in my life, fine, I understand it will be a hardship and difficult in our current world, but I'm willing to go without a home computer. If I struggle with drinking, I probably shouldn't be hanging out in bars. Make sense? It assumes a willingness to be led. And it assumes a willingness to listen when God says. Going back to that situation with my dog, it assumes that your general willingness to follow God looks more like Keegan when Christy was walking him than Keegan when I was walking him. Or, heaven forbid, Keegan outside without a leash on him. There's a quote from Augustine that I really enjoy. Uh, it says, Lord God, give me liberty, give me, ch give me a, not liberty, give me uh, chastity, give me temperance, give me sobriety, basically. But, oh, Lord, not yet. Please, not yet. Okay? How often is that what you say in your life? Lord, I want to be these things, but not right now. Be willing to submit. Be willing to listen if he leads you away from it. And so when temptation does hit, know that your general call is to follow your Lord. Whenever trial hits, and this is actually my favorite definition of trial, the word is not negative, it can have a positive meaning too. The meaning here most likely carries this sense, allow us to be spared from difficult circumstances that would enable us to be tempted to sin at some point. Allow us to avoid difficult circumstances that would enable temptation in our lives. 
So this is talking about keep me from the things that then go on to tempt me. Make sense? Be willing to be led. But then here's number two. Lead me not into temptation, but then check this one out. Deliver us from evil. On to deliver us. Deliver is a very specific word, too. There's a bunch of times within Scripture where this word deliver is brought up. Uh, whenever you read it in English, especially, everything is delivering. Jesus was delivered over to the chief priests. Someone delivered a message to someone else. Uh, maybe someone delivered whatever the original, I want to say ancient Greek version of pizza was. Whatever, right? But then there's a different word that also is translated deliver in English. That is this one. And that word is rescue. Rescue me. Rescue us. Pull us out of the situation we're in and fix us. Save us, Lord. That is what this deliver means. And the word that is used here for deliver is used multiple times in Scripture too, but always in the context of one who needs rescued from something or someone. So there's physical circumstances that people need rescued from. Whenever Paul is shipwrecked and on an island, he was delivered from death. Whenever he didn't die, he was saved, right? Whenever uh, Paul was handed over to be stoned at one point, God delivered him from the people who were going to stone him, and his life was saved. But then deliver takes on much bigger aspects, too, within Scripture. But before diving into that, deliver us from evil, okay? Please note, whenever it says deliver us from evil, depending on which version of the Bible you're reading, it either says deliver us from evil, which is a neutral concept, or deliver us from the evil one, i.e. Satan, right? And there's a reason for that, and that's because whenever this was written, there was a way to write this, that actually pops out so that both meanings can be read via the word that is there. Basically, depending on how you read one of the vowels there, it's either a neutral thing, evil itself, or it's a personal thing, evil personified Satan. Okay? And there's fights that go on in scriptural circles about which one is this supposed to mean. And I would be honest, I would probably bet that Jesus and the person he inspired to write this phrase down in a book probably did it on purpose. Because we need delivered from both. <laughs> it doesn't matter which way you read it, whether evil is personified as Satan, because we know Satan exists. Duh, he does a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible. We can't walk past it. But we also know that evil, apart from Satan, also exists. We need delivered from both. We need rescued from both. Deliver us rightly assumes we have no power to deliver ourselves. You can't save you. No matter how good you try to be, no matter how much you try and follow what God calls for you to do every day, you do not have in yourself the power to deliver yourself. You're not strong enough. You never can be. You can't deliver other people either. It's not in you to save the people around you. That's one of the things that kicks me sometimes about the evangelical church. We act like we're the ones who save people. We're not. Jesus saves. Jesus delivers. We're called to be his instruments, but he's the one who does the work. Deliver us assumes we have no power to deliver ourselves. Check this out. 
In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, it says this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises from the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Who does the delivering from evil, from Satan? Jesus. He delivers. We don't. Check this out. Romans 7, 21 through 25. I am going to be honest. This is one of my favorite verses of all time. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Stop right there. If you ever want to know what your position is as a person, just remember those words right there. Oh, what a wretched man I am. We are wretched. We are in over our heads. We cannot rescue ourselves or save ourselves. We may say we want to do good, but whenever we say it, we also have inside us a part that doesn't want to do good. We may want to do the right thing anytime we are tried or tempted, but we may also at that same time just completely ignore that want and do the thing we're not supposed to do. It doesn't matter how good we think we are. We're not good enough. We're not. What a wretched person I am. That memory there is what allows us, whenever we pray, to approach God with those, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Attitudes that we're called to have whenever we come to him. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me or who will deliver me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Where is your deliverance from? from Christ. Do you want to know how he delivered you? It's really simple. You see, it's not. It's super difficult. But okay, here's the deal. We were wretched. We were in need. We needed God wholly and fully. Our relationship with him was broken because of our own sin and the sin of our forefathers. And the world itself, we know, sucks. Honestly, take a look around. Seriously, go read Google News or look on your Facebook feed for like four minutes. You will realize the world is not an awesome place. Okay? The world is broken. Evil reigns. We are in the midst of it and stuck in our sin and our own depravity and evilness. We fight against Satan. We fight against our own flesh and we fight against the world which pulls for us to ignore and rebel against God. And we have a broken relationship with him that we have no power to overcome. I can't get past this on my own. There is a gulf between me and God himself that I and my imperfection can never bridge. And even though that gulf exists, God himself took it upon himself to do something about that gulf. And he sent his son to come and live a perfect life, to step outside of the sinfulness that we as humans experience on a daily basis, and to live perfection. He never sinned, never stepped outside the will of God the Father. And he lived this perfect life. And then he, though he never deserved death because he was perfect... He's the only person who ever lived who didn't deserve to taste death in some way, shape, or form. He took death on himself. Whenever Jesus died on the cross, yes, he was crucified, but it also says he offered his own spirit up. He gave himself up to death for you 
and for me. He gave himself up. And he, though he never deserved death, tasted it. And then three days later, he resurrected by his own power. He came back to life. And he defeated death completely. He overcame the hole and grip that death has on this world through his own life. He lived, he died, he rose again. And then we learn this, that God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be a sin offering on our behalf so that we may gain the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. Jesus is perfect, never deserved to taste death or the effects of sinfulness. We are not perfect. We deserve to taste the effects of sin, death, and evil in this world. And then God had Jesus be an offering on our place so that we can gain what Jesus deserved. Jesus took what we deserve so that we can gain what he deserved. And what he deserves is life and right standing before God the Father. That's the gospel, guys. Is there more to it? Oh, of course. Because the next part is then to put off the old self and to grow in Christ's likeness every day. To humble ourselves and recognize our imperfection and to pray that God would overcome it and teach us to be more and more like him every day. There's a couple things that dive in on this, guys. Here's the first one. We can't blame God to lead us into a temptation when we choose to run wholeheartedly into it, regardless of God's will. Part of growing as a follower of Christ is recognizing what he did for you and being willing to submit yourself to him because of it. And submitting yourself to him means not running away from him or running into places he doesn't want you to go. So you have to search your own heart, pray for him to reveal to you who you are, and what is appropriate for you to be doing, where you are being tried, and where you need to persevere, and where you need to avoid temptation, and then listening to it. And I wish I could give you guys easy rules to pick these things out, but different things are different for different people, right? Some of you in here can have a complete unfair internet access with no problem, never have any issue with it. Some of you probably shouldn't have a touch-tone phone because you'll find ways to read things you shouldn't have on it read on a touchstone phone. Here, whatever. Whatever sense we're talking about, right? Some of us can go into the most wonderful restaurant in the world and have a water and a salad. And some of us are going to function like me. I should probably never go back to a Brazilian steakhouse again. Right? Some of us can drink responsibly. Some of us cannot. And so some can go to a bar. Some cannot. It would be just as wrong for me to say no one should ever, ever, ever have a drink of alcohol as it would be wrong for me to say everyone should drink as much as they want. They're both wrong. Some should not because some enslave themselves to it. Some cannot be enslaved to it and are able to do so. We need to remember that we are to listen and go where God has called us to. We are to remember that deliver us assumes we have no power over ourselves. So God can put us into places where he wants us to, where he wants to, for the purpose of allowing us to recognize our weaknesses, 
to recognize where we need to grow, and we need to be willing to remember that he can save us and that we aren't strong enough to save ourselves. That's part of the issue whenever we walk into places where we shouldn't be tempted. We assume that we're strong enough to avoid actual temptation on our own. And we don't flee from it. We say, no, I'm good enough. I can get myself out of this. Have you ever done that in any way, shape, or form? You know there's something you shouldn't be doing right now that you should just walk away from completely. It shouldn't be a part of who you are. But you say, you know what, nah, I can take three more steps towards it because I'll be able to extricate myself from the situation. I'll be able to pull myself out. I have. I do. When we do that, though, we're assuming we can deliver ourselves from our own situation. We're assuming we're good enough, we're strong enough, we're able to pull ourselves out. We're not recognizing the fact that we are wretched people who, given the opportunity, will ignore and rebel against our loving Father. We're not knowing ourselves. We have no power to deliver ourselves, but He delivers us. Good news is this my ability to avoid temptation and my ability to overcome sin don't matter. Honestly. He saves. And he saves perfectly. He delivers me regardless of me. And so even whenever I mess up, even whenever I fail, even whenever I do the things that I know I shouldn't do, or I don't do the things I know I should do, I'm still delivered. Because he saves, he rescues. Right? We know this. But our call as followers of Christ is to more and more as we move on, submit ourselves to who he is. To submit ourselves to him over our lives as much as we possibly can. That we may decrease so that he may increase. So that we would give up our own glory that we don't deserve so that he can gain all the glory he deserves. And he deserves like all the glory, guys. <laughs> all of it. As we're finishing up this section on the on the uh, Lord's Prayer. The whole Lord's Prayer can basically be broken down into two separate things. The first is this. We are called to recognize who God is and what he is doing. So the first parts, our Father in heaven, we're recognizing him and his relationship to us and the fact that that calls for us to actually submit ourselves to him because we're called to serve and love and honor our fathers, right? Submit yourself to him who is in heaven. May your name be made great. So we recognize what his purposes on this world are, to glorify himself. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. May your purposes happen in this world and not mine. We are recognizing that his purposes are greater than ours and his purposes are what we should want to see occur in this world. And we are beginning to submit ourselves to that as well. Give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need to survive while relying. So the recognition is those first three, sorry. The second three are reliance on him. So give us what we need to survive now that we may still continue to rely on you. Give us today our daily bread assumes that we can't give it to us ourselves, that he needs to give it to us. And forgive us our trespasses or our debts assumes that we need forgiven, right? And we rely on him for this forgiveness. Lead us not into temptation, assumes that we are willing to submit ourselves to him because we rely on him to keep us from stepping into stupid situations that we would put ourselves in and deliver us from evil means that we are called to rely on him for full deliverance from the world, from ourselves, from Satan.
when you are praying, I don't care what words you are saying, but if the words you're saying are not words of you recognizing who God is and recognizing that you must rely on him, what are you praying for? recognize who he is. We rely on him to deliver us. And we can trust knowing that he will do so. He has saved us from this body of death. He has saved us from this world that is corruptible. He has given us salvation. And not only that, but he who began a good work in us, making us more like him, will bring it along to completion. Guys, you may not be perfectly like Jesus today. I'm pretty sure I can say most of you aren't perfectly like Jesus today. But you will be at some point. Not in this lifetime, but when he returns, when we go to him, he will perfect you and finish the work that he began in you. And you will glorify him with everything you are. And you will see just how glorious he is. His purposes will be done. You will rely on him. We can take that to heart. Let's pray. We're going to spend a few minutes in silent prayer, remembering who God is and what he's done, asking for him to lead us away from temptation, asking for us to, him to deliver us from evil, and remembering the fact that we rely on him completely. So spend a moment in prayer, then we're going to pray and then take, take communion together. Thank you for today. Father in heaven, your name is great and may you make it greater. Lord, may your kingdom come in this world. Lord, may the kingdom that you established by your arrival and by your coronation grow and grow and grow until you have invaded the entire world. May your will be done in this world, not ours, not the world's, but yours. May it be here as it is in heaven with you. Lord, may we have what we need to survive today. Will you cover our needs? And Lord, will you allow us to remain in reliance of you? Lord, forgive us. We sin. We fail. We are imperfect, miserable, wretched creatures who need your mercy. Please pour it out on us. And Lord, strengthen us and enable us to forgive those who have sinned against us. May we demonstrate the goodness of who you are in the way that we deal with the world around us. Lord, leave us, lead us away from trial and tribulation and hardship. We beg of you to spare us from it. But Lord, if we step into it, may we persevere and may we take joy in it. May we glorify you in it. Lord, deliver us from Satan. We praise you because we know that through your body and blood, you have rescued us from the dominion of death. Continue delivering us, Lord, 
overcome the evil that is within our hearts, overcome the evil that is surrounding us in this world, and overcome Satan completely. Lord God, come back. Return quickly. We long for the day whenever you fully and wholly overcome evil in this world. And we praise you for the glimpse of it we have had in your gospel, and we look forward to whenever you bring it fully to fruition when you return. Lord, it's all about you. May you be glorified. It's your name we pray. Amen.